Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome back, folks. Time for another episode. And we've got ice here in Michigan, finally. Uh, just about everywhere um, in the lower peninsula for sure. The UP, I know, is probably a little bit ahead of us, but we've got some safe ice uh, for the most part um, in the northern lower peninsula. Saginaw Bay is trying to lock up here and there. That's still, to my understanding, unsafe. But uh, we wanted to get on here to kind of tell you guys what we've been doing. We've All three of us in this episode, Kelly, Tom, and myself, have all been on the ice already and been fishing. And we start to share with you guys uh, a trip that Kelly and Tom have coming up here very shortly to Lake Ogebic. I kind of talk about my experience on that lake, things to look for. Um, we go over just the basics. If you're new to ice fishing, we tell you some must-haves, that gear that you should have and take with you. Um, we give some pointers for pan fishing and walleye fishing. Uh, the guys, you know, being firemen themselves, talk about ice safety, which I think is important. And uh, so this this episode's got a little bit of everything. You know, winter's here. It's time to embrace it. Get outside just because it's cold out doesn't mean you can't uh, take the kids and the family or your friends and your buddies and get outside and do some uh, outdoor activities. And fishing is a, is a great way to do that on the ice. So um, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Remember to follow us over on Instagram at Michigan Life Outdoors. And just a gentle reminder, be safe out there. You know, look, check the ice. Um, don't just assume that it's safe. And uh, yeah, be careful. Enjoy the episode. Okay. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the podcast. I am here today with Tom and Kelly. Cheers. Cheers, Kelly. Welcome back, buddy. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you got out tonight. This is great. Great to have you here. 2022 absolutely um we're going to talk about ice fishing on this podcast because that's what we're doing this time of year all three i think has carson been into it too uh he's not much of a, a fisherman he's okay. more of a social butterfly yeah he doesn't have the attention span to, to sit down and fish no way <laughs> <laughs> the guy who just sits on the ground during opening day with his kids and eats lucky charms and everything that's else. it but he shoots deer that's he's right that down on science all right so yeah we're going to talk a little bit about um so hopefully some helpful tips for you all to 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 apply to the ice this year um i'm kind of more of a walleye guy so i'll give you guys some tips and some things that i think you guys should hone in on this time of year um and then tom and kelly are going to talk about a trip that they got planned up to lake ogebic um kind of a well-known lake here i think in the state of michigan it's your guys's first time going there mm-hmm. so i'd kind of be interested to hear how you guys are going to dissect the lake and kind of like what you're thinking and what your plan is i'm going to go off everything you told me and take all your spots that's my that's the, my the gps points <laughs> might be helpful yeah i'm definitely going to share those i'm kind of lost i'm going to this blind no you guys are gonna do good um just curious uh, since you guys have never been there before tell everybody kind of like what you've heard about lake ogebic and kind of like what drew you guys there uh, or to make a trip there so a guy we work with at the fire department uh he done a bunch of research and he's obsessed with big perch and uh, <clears throat> this lake kept popping up in michigan uh so from what i understand there's some pretty jumbo fish you know um, all species they got some really good fish but they got some jumbo perch and some really big crappie and um I could very well be wrong on this. I think you can only keep like five perch mm-hmm. over, I think, 12 inches. Okay. So there's like a slot limit. You can only keep the uh, five big ones. Um, so I, that probably makes the lake pretty decent, but uh, it's pretty well known. You YouTube it, everybody pops up. Everybody knows a little something about it. Like, yep. Seems pretty awesome. Uh, our usual style, just uh, pick a trip, make it happen. I don't really know too much about it. We're just going to do it. I'm excited about it uh, geographically since I haven't spent much time up in the UP. So yeah. I think we're super fortunate down here in Southeast Michigan to have some great fishing and both inland and Lake Erie's right in our back door. So right. it's hard to beat that with walleye fishing and that. But uh, I'm excited just to be in a different part of the state and be up in the north west corner of the up um or uh, yeah all the way to the west side really um of the up so i've been there since i was a kid so i'm excited to be up in that area and uh just poke around and have some fun dude when you go up there it's like you're going to another world because even when you get on 
the other side of the bridge, it's still like another four and a half, five hours west. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, holy shit, I just put the lower peninsula behind me. I basically got <laughs> that same drive again going west over towards the porcupine mountain that's what intrigues like me is uh the adventure oh yeah it's supposed to be stupid cold and the wind chills like negative 10 or 15 and uh it's just gonna be a cool trip it'll be an adventure um one thing that you guys will notice up there which i think is always cool is like everybody up there with their docks they don't take them out like traditionally like pull them back and stack them and stuff like that they're all on cranes so imagine like a dock going out into the water and they just hook a cable to the end and then crank the crane back up and so then as you drive out to your fishing spot you're going underneath all these docks that are just kind of like it's, on a 45 degree angle cool. in the air it sounds like a bicycle ramp <laughs> yeah, it looks just like it yeah like if you wanted to hit it and you had the balls you could just fly off the end of it i got i got a 1988 Moto 4 oh. four-wheeler. It's set up for you then, dude. Yeah, I, I might have to let that one rip. I got one even better for you. I'm borrowing a friend's four-wheeler, so I have no money in the game. I would just send it. Just send it and see what happens. No, you guys are going to like it. Um, that's interesting because, you know, that's the same kind of thing. I would think that it's really known for, you know, obviously the big uh, perch. Um, most of the time people go more towards the beginning of March. That's when everyone tries to get that two pounder, um, up there, they call them teeter pigs mm -hmm. because if you put them on their belly, they kind of teeter back and forth. And there's a bunch of tournaments usually in the first week of May, or, I'm sorry, first week of March and stuff like that. So it draws a huge crowd. Um, but actually the sleeper on that is, um, you mentioned the crappie fishing is really good up there. Yep. Um, in my experience, uh, when I was up there ice fishing we caught some, some huge huge slabs of crappie up there and i i had a blast bringing those damn things in um and then the other thing too that's just really cool is the walleye um there's been a huge effort to try to re um uh, up the population up there in the walleye and they've been doing a really good job uh there's a lot of uh, dnr involvement and a lot of local groups to bring back the, the walleye so the walleye have been doing really good up there so i think one thing that you guys will notice when you're up there um is the amount of walleye mm -hmm. they're not they're getting bigger i wouldn't say they're they're huge like uh you know obviously don't compare it to like saginaw bay walleye or sure. lake erie or something like that but the numbers are there and um you know you can keep a few of them i don't know what the slot limit is right now we'll have to check that or you guys check it before you go up there um of what the bag limit is but yeah it's a it's a great walleye lake so we're going to talk a little bit about our methods and we can we can stay on go gebic perch and kind of the methods that I kind of told you guys that I think works really good and kind of a technique that was developed off of that lake up there. And anybody listening to this, um, they'll know um, uh, the snare rods. Any ice fisherman um, that's been around for a while could probably heard of JT Outdoor Products, their, their snare rod that was kind of invented on this lake. And if anyone doesn't know what a snare rod is, imagine a about a 36, 32, they come in different lengths, um, ice rod that has a really soft, fast action tip that will meet up with a, like a hard carbon backbone. And what happens is it's just like, a, this sounds like a snare. The fish is gonna take the bait. It's gonna start to pull the bait and swim away with it without feeling any resistance. And that rod is gonna continue to bend over, bend over until it hits into the backbone of that rod. And these perch end up essentially snaring themselves so hooking themselves and then then you can reel them in so there's really not much of a hook set um when it comes to jigging perch on that lake it's hit or miss i would say your best odds are always with just doing the dead stick technique or the snare rod technique and letting those fish letting those perch come in and take it without them mm -hmm. knowing someone's on the other end why of the do line. you think that is because the bait they're eating Dude, I don't know. So I was thinking about that. One, I think is the bait that they're eating. And two, for some reason, like on that lake, it is very dark underwater. And what I mean by that is like, I drop my camera down under there. You can't see shit on camera. It's all mud. It's all mud. So I think when they come in there, they can't, I think their visibility is pretty weak as well. And they're just kind of whatever, if they're smelling it or whatever, kind of their, their lateral lines or they're feeling something, they're very cautious about what they're eating. So mm -hmm. as they put it in their mouth, they're kind of just 
nibbling on it and then and then going away so imagine if you couldn't see and someone's jigging something in front of your face you don't yeah. know what's there and if it comes down and hits you or if there's big movements they might be scared and timid of that sure sounds like some lazy youpers to me <laughs> I don't know what's going on yeah or those fish just want you to drink a bunch of beer and just <laughs> yeah. put out a rod and not work very hard so yeah. amazing that could be the other yeah. thing the lake too. was built for youpers i don't know dead sticking that that doesn't sound like my cup of tea <laughs> uh, we'll we'll find out we'll keep you posted it will that. be when there's a two pounder on the other sure. end of it you're gonna be like oh yeah we're used to fishing here in michigan and we've been to simcoe uh a handful of times and uh i like uh watching the fish come in on the flasher right and, and working them up and messing with them mm-hmm. and, and teasing them and, and finally winning at that game and and getting them hit you know what i mean like the full-on it's just a game that's all it is so uh, the dead sticking is going to be new I, I i'm not used to it and when i say dead sticking it's just for specifically more for the perch sure. so i'm not I, I jigged up a lot of walleye there we jigged up a lot of um uh smallmouth bass a lot of uh, crappie so the jigging game still exists there it's just not for the perch which that's is really kind weird of, which is what you want it to be for sure. more more to be it's honest weird with that you. one species of uh single that out right the other species will go after it and then the perch don't yeah so the so the lake for the most part has a unique bottom it's like this huge mud flat and um it kind of resides more like in the middle of the lake um not closer to the sides more like out towards the middle and within this is a, a spot in this mud is where the mayflies like to set their larvae and they go down there and they come up out of the mud and that's what those perch are feeding on. That's how they get so big is they're eating all these bugs that are in the mud and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when you go out there, um, traditionally it's a, from what guys would typically, you know, if they tip a, a small spoon with a, like a, a, you know, a minnow head, um, that's how kind of, you know, they get perched in the past or small plastics, not saying that those techniques won't work, but the thing that you want to put on your line up there are called wigglers. Um, everybody knows about it. Um, especially the locals and all the bait shops up there, they have a shit ton of wigglers on, on hand. And when you go there, you just want to get as many as you can and prevent them from freezing. You want to keep them alive and you want yeah. to keep them doing exactly what they sound like wiggling on the end of your hook. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be my advice to obviously you guys and anybody else going up there is sure. just do that technique and see what happens. How much ice do you think they'll have about right oh, about now? Shit, I think they'll have eight to ten inches. Well, good. I'm glad you didn't say four foot because that's what had Simcoe. <laughs> we were putting extenders on eight. I can handle eight it was ten like inches. Six foot. foot. Yeah, we couldn't get through with with a standard augers. We were putting oh shit, you had to put those huge ass extensions. Even the extensions, it wouldn't pop through to like the last couple inches. You were burying your drill in the in the ice or in the like. It's crazy. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I don't. Maybe they have a foot. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm sure they probably have quite a bit, but not that much. I would say in February you'd be in trouble and you'd be looking for extensions there. But it's still January when you guys are going up, so I think you'll be you'll you should be okay. Obviously, you'd be good with snow machines on there of any size mm-hmm. um but yeah so okay so that's the perch game on gogebic the walleye game just your traditional spoons um you know buckshot tails things like that jig tipped with a with a minnow head and uh then you can do your jigging game with your with your markham or whatever mm-hmm. ice juicer that you got to put down there um just like you traditionally would think about mornings and evenings get out there before the sun comes up drill drill 20 holes in an area that you think is good and just keep hole hopping because they're going to be in one hole and then you're going to go to the next one and there's nothing and you're going to skip two and then they're going to be in that third hole and there's going to, they're going to be there for a little bit and then they're going to move mm-hmm. that's the one thing up there too is those walleye just like traditionally like almost on eerie they just keep moving around everybody said that even in the youtube videos you got to move got to move yeah um and then in the middle of the day when it's really fucking cold like that's when you can do your dead sticking for the the perch and stuff sure. like that and just stay in your shack but in the beginning definitely get out there and do some jigging but um all right so let's talk about some other walleye tips that we've got and things like that i guess we should get into um first off like what gear do you have to have that i think in my opinion is going to either make or break your ice fishing trip one is a fishing sonar 
you got to have it. I think yeah, when it comes to ice fishing, a flasher of some sort, some sort. I won't even go fishing without one. My battery died the other day and I quit. <laughs> right. Because then it's like getting back to old school. You're like, all right. I you felt can- Amish. <laughs> <laughs> Did you drop the weight down there and then like pull up how many feet yeah, you were down there I was, I trying to figure shit done. out? I literally started packing my stuff up, talking to my buddy. I was done. And then you bought a $130 battery. I did. I got a lithium ion 12 amp battery. It won't happen again. That'd be the last time that thing dies. How much did you get on your standard battery? How many hours? So new, I would get all day. I'd get about 12 hours. Okay. Uh, So the battery's four years old. All right. And uh, I got five hours and died. So the last. That was the first time you were out this year. First time out this year. So the last two hours of daylight, prime time, like. I'm going to catch my limit right now. Uh, my flasher died. And I'll be that guy. Was the battery stored in the heat or in the cold? I had a hand warmer in the pet case with it. I'm talking about year o- round. Off season. Oh, off season. No, it was in my house. Whole time. Never cold. Never cold. Yeah. I don't I don't let my batteries get cold. No, either. I put it in the bottom of my closet in my bedroom. I don't leave it out. Makes sense, right? It's four, four, years. four years old, I would sure. say. That sounds about right. Because a new one of those is like 30 bucks. Then if you get a lithium-ion, like you said, it's a, over 100 bucks. So. Yeah. And those hopefully should last longer. They, I was told that I would get twice the the battery life out of it, and um, um, twice the use out of it as far as hours. Okay. So if my my lead lasted twelve hours, this one should last twenty four, or even longer. Is what I was told. Okay. So flashers, I use the Markham LX seven. Um, Again, what is a flasher for anyone listening to this? If they're just getting into ice fishing or don't know what it is or why do they have to have it? A flasher is going to tell you a couple things. One, um, some of them do have GPS on it nowadays, which is great if you're going out on big bodies of water. Um, regardless, if you don't have that, I suggest getting some kind of GPS on your phone. Um, the Navionics app will tell you where you're at on the lake. Um, probably... Um, Onyx would show you somewhere where you're on the lake at some point. Doesn't show you depths, but it shows you light long. Right. As long as like I'm talking if you go on a big lake and you don't know where you came on shore at or if it comes in white out conditions and your tracks are gone, how do you get back? It's always important probably to have a GPS on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing that the flasher is going to tell you is your depth. So one thing about ice fishing, um, something that you always want to focus on are different depths. So if it's a steep drop off, those are always good spots to kind of hang out in. Um, you could also be on a lake. You don't want to be too deep. So if you're in 30 feet of water, um, a lot of the fish that time of year aren't out that deep. They're going to be more in kind of like the 20 feet 14 feet and then they're going to be kind of relating the structure and things like that um, you also don't want to be drilling a hole and you know you think that you're way out in the lake but really that lake is shallow and you're only in two feet of water so then you're you know what i mean so the flash is really going to kind of help you get into that zone that you really want to be in um, with depth. secondly or thirdly, the next thing the flasher is going to show you is your lure and how deep in the water column your lure is. This is important because you're also going to start to see the fish show up on the flasher and you're going to see where they're hanging out at. So, for example, if you go all the way down to the bottom and you're only six inches off the bottom, but you're seeing and you're marking fish three feet up, mm-hmm. you know that you're too far down, too deep, that they're not hanging there and that they're cruising, you know, 11 feet out of the 14 feet deep or wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. So it's super important. Kind of like what you said, when you're done and you're done seeing fish and you don't know where they're at anymore. Yeah. You, like you said, you're like, what's the point? I've of- only been out once this, once this year and it literally happened to me. I was typical you know drop down hit bottom reel up twice and down by the bottom and i was marking fish i was in 18 feet of water i was marking them at 10 and 12 feet right and i would come up have to mess with them jig them a little bit and they would hit it at 10 and 12 feet exactly and and they weren't on the bottom right so i mean if you didn't have a flasher you'd never know that right so again so that's a good point so the fourth thing that the, the flasher is going to do is going to tell you fish behavior how are they reacting to your bait so most of the time when you look down your hole you're not going to be able to see the fish but on your flasher you'll be able to see them usually they're typically like a big fish is a red mark um or uh, if you have a traditional one that's just showing you like black bars or something like that there might be there might be a thicker black bar or something like that but basically what it's going to show you is is that fish is that fish chasing your bait is your jigging motion scaring that fish off 
Um, how many are around you at that time? Are you doing the right cadence? They're liking whatever you're doing. They're not liking what you're doing. Um, so that's going to tell you a lot about the fish behavior, the bait that you have on there, your lure, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, um, it's like a process of elimination, almost like a, um, like a crossword puzzle or something like that. You start to mark off the things that you know is not working and you're just going to start to hone in on the fish and, and, mm -hmm. and come up with your recipe of whatever's going to get them interested at least. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it. It's yeah. crazy because they're like me personally, I don't have a rhyme or a reason why it's working or why it's not working. You just know, cool, this one chased it up, you know, and then every fish capture that it all, they all go up. Right. Or they hit it on the way down. You know what I mean? Like it's uh whatever works for that one fish, it tends to work for all the other ones too. And flashers are, they can get out of control with pricing. So you don't oh, need to, not. you don't need to spend $900 on an, if you don't think you're going to be ice fishing that much or you're just getting into ice fishing or however you want to pursue it, you can get a decent flasher that's telling you everything that we just talked about for 200 bucks, 250 bucks. Yeah. I think the base Vexlar is like 250. Yeah. And, and get online because there's the guys out there that always want to upgrade. So they're going to sell their older stuff that still works perfectly fine. But for whatever reason, they need all the new bells and whistles. Like the big thing on ice fishing this well, the last couple of years is pan optics. Yeah. The live scope, the live scope. Things, man. That's like $3,000 that you have out on the ice just <laughs> yeah. for finding out where the fish are at. Uh, that's another story. Um, next thing that I think is important, obviously is an auger, right? Um, I'm going to say hand augers suck. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can try to go that route if you want to, and you, you get a $60 hand auger and you're like, oh, I'll be fine with this. You won't drill holes. Yeah. You'll drill one or two and you'll be like, screw this. And you, it's like every other podcast, you get what you put into it. Yeah. Like it. If you're willing to drill 50 holes with a hand auger, then you'll probably make it happen. But man, it's not fun. Oh, it's a shame when I see people doing it. I almost go over there with my auger and be like, yeah. hey, man, where do you want some holes at? Because I feel bad for you. Yeah. Um, but so, again, getting to that, gas augers are kind of phasing out. Um, if you see like... If you think of like ice fishing and you're thinking um, of what your grandpa did or what your dad did back in the day, gas augers are damn near obsolete. Not too many people to use them anymore. Um, lithium ion has taken that over. So there's a couple of them. One, there's one that the lithium ion will hook right into an auger itself. Um, or the other way that I use it, it's called a K drill and it hooks into your, um, your hammer drive, uh, power like your your power driver of your for your screw or whatever your screw half gun. inch drill half inch drill that's it and it's got to be a uh, hammer drill or typically that's what they recommend mm -hmm. um so if you have a hammer drilling around at home whether that be a dewalt a milwaukee whatever it is uh there's something called a k drill it's super affordable it's like 120 bucks for the drill you can get a six inch or an eight inch version of it and it hooks right to your hammer drill so if you already have one at home your hammer drill probably comes with two lithium ion batteries charge those babies up bring them out on the ice and on my on one charge on my lithium ion um while i was just out on saturday and it was minus three and i was drilling holes and i dr drilled probably about 30 holes and i had half of my battery left mm -hmm. um i know obviously not to keep them in the cold is not ideal but the other one i put in my pocket and walked around with it and kept it warm so that way if the other one died or you know i lost battery because it was so freaking cold i had another one ready to go super affordable in my opinion 120 bucks for that if you, if you already have a hammer drill lying around at home hook it up and you go with that rod. and there's some other variables in that too um they make different amp hour batteries for all these cordless drills that we have so there's yep. um, you know two amp hour four amp hour six amp hour that'll make a drastic difference in your usability and amount of holds you can do um, i personally don't use the um, attachments to hold your drill the right um i just have a, a nils is the name of my yep. uh, auger and um, i think the size of your auger depends on what your intended purpose is for uh, i use a six inch auger but i'm typically always pan fishing tom and i always are out there chasing perch or bluegill or crappie so a six inch is sufficient for us but if we're going to pull big giant walleye through the ice you know you may want to think about getting an eight inch or a bigger one yeah I, that's a good point yeah it exactly so figure out what kind of fishing you're going to do use six inch or eight inch i always go eight inch 
back in the day they used to make 10 inch augers mm-hmm. i mean that's a pretty big hole that you're staring at in the ice and a lot of times if your foot goes through it in the shanty you're going to be <laughs> up to your knees in water i've done that a few times yeah. um so yeah so that's probably whoops shit i spilled my beer sorry about that <laughs> um that's probably the second thing that you need that's most important um third thing i would get to is just a decent ice fishing rod um if you have the money and the means to buy two of them buy two of them um you can do something like we just talked with a dead stick in the state of michigan the same open water rules apply so you can have three rods in the water at any time so if you are i thought that was two a piece it's three it's three in the state of michigan okay but your tip-ups count as a rod exactly keep that in mind too think of it as a line in the water yeah whether you're jigging whether you're dead sticking whether you're tip-upping um yeah it counts as a rod and talking about important gear um sorry about your table man (laughs) i don't care about that uh talking about important gear i think we'd have to rewind all of that that was said in say ice picks and floating ice suits have oh to yeah be at the top of that list yeah, you guys should talk um, about that being firemen and everything yep so we have uh some experience in that world but but it's common knowledge that you know that bad ice is possible currents are possible spring fed i mean there's a lot of reasons why safe ice can become unsafe ice and um and the biggest thing is that we come home, uh, you know, to our families and stuff. So yep. uh, floating ice suits, the ones, I think one of the most popular ones, the ones that we use, Striker. Uh, we have a Striker climate suit yep. and, uh, you know, they're floating. They're not by no means waterproof. They're, you know, by no means going to be comfortable, but at least we're going to stay floating. And ice picks are going to drastically increase your odds in getting out of that ice and, uh, you know, hopefully move quickly to a warmer environment somewhere. And it doesn't count if you have ice picks in your shanty the ice picks yeah. need to be around yeah. your neck so anyone that thinks that you're safe being on ice like oh yeah i threw them in my shanty no they need to be around your neck around your neck some of them also have the the suits have uh zipper sleeves or whatever i leave mine unzipped so i can get to right in my forearms I, mm-hmm. my picks are there just because i don't like them touching my neck and so if you're one of those people um but your forearms a great spot that's where you're gonna you can reach and grab them you know on the opposing forearms um the floating suits and then uh, throw bag this, yeah this is a no-brainer guys this is a a ten dollar rope from any hardware store any store anywhere uh, doesn't even have to be anything specific we're not talking life safety here we're talking a nylon three-eighths inch rope and stuffing it into any bag that you have laying around it doesn't matter if it's a, a mesh bag a, a cloth bag find a bag that's about a volleyball size and shove 50 foot of, of rope into that with a carabiner on the end that we can chuck and practice with it practice how to load it practice how to throw it and uh, so on and so forth so there's my little uh no that's important yeah, yeah we yeah. probably should talk about i shouldn't assume and and i say that every time we go out hey guys there's a throw bag in my shanty everyone have picks if we don't they're five bucks buy 10 10 of them on amazon if there's anybody out there on the ice with you that does not have picks or something here here's a pick man yeah i want you to have these so anybody living in the state of michigan heading north on 75 exit 181 in pinconning there's a store called northwoods they have a shit ton of um striker ice suits there i was just there the other day and i got a new one because my zipper broke on my old jacket um the new suit that floats is 159.99 um you can use it for whatever i use it when i snow blow um i use it when it's cold open water season in the spring yeah um and like you said it does float and they have bibs that can match and go with it those are right right around the same price 160 bucks and uh if you do go in it will keep you afloat and your head above your head above water at least uh when you go on the ice and then you can figure out how to get out from there yeah that's a no-brainer so yeah thanks for that point there and don't assume that all ice is safe we were actually we had a a trip on lake simcoe in canada and there was five foot of ice and uh we end up fishing a four-wheeler out and two guys went into the ice and everybody was safe it was fine 
Um, but uh, we ended up helping those guys out and getting the four-wheeler out of the water and everything. And it was just a pressure crack and the wind blew and it separated the pressure crack. So they're five foot of ice and everybody's driving around in four-wheelers and sleds and everything's fine and all good. And, yep. and uh, you hit a three-foot pressure crack that opened up and, uh, you know, you're in 12 foot of water. And I don't know how we fished that darn thing out. Yeah. I, I, to this day, I, I won't understand how we righted that thing and uh, got that up and out with a... Is that the moto? The moto do that? No, we did it with my dad's four-wheeler Yamaha Grizzly. Oh, okay. My, a little more power than the moto, but not much. <laughs> not much than the old moto. Yeah, board. to get that grip on the ice, too. That's pretty... It was stuck in the mud on the bottom, and uh, once we freed it, I think the air and the tires really helped us. Oh, okay. It got up, and then... Uh, we finagled it with ropes and two by fours no and shit hooked it a little different and we, we messed with it for a little bit but we got it off mm-hmm. it was all good nobody got hurt and uh, we had uh, the guys had a cold ride in I yeah. mean, it was cold but we got him in got him warmed up and but it was a little bit of an eye-opener there was five foot of ice there and, and and we had people go in the water right for uh no reason other than it was just a pressure crack and like they didn't see it big bodies of water open up and the wind plays a big factor with that pressure crack so and you like your saginaw bays or um your lake simcoe's and um you know anytime that there's a big body of water and you've got like a southwest wind that's really blowing pretty hard um you can have a pressure crack and you won't see it especially at night you won't see it and, and it should go without saying but i'm going to say it anytime there's a, a large body of water say for lake erie for example and that body of water isn't completely froze over from end to end please don't go fishing with an offshore wind i mean i, I feel like that's yeah. something that, that you know doesn't need to be said but uh you would uh, think that but we live here so we don't we know we don't take it for granted but you get out of town people that don't realize that aspect of it yeah i mean we we've been on a few uh, you know unfortunate uh, rescue scenarios where you know 20 30 50 100 guys get blown off mm-hmm. on these giant chunks of ice and uh so just keep that in mind when we're going out i know we're talking about north fishing but this is kind of pertains to home a little bit but uh offshore this is state of michigan fishing yeah offshore winds with with you know lakes that aren't froze over guys we got to be extra extra careful go inland please there's no fish worth uh worth drowning in the lake um staying on the safety thing make sure your phone has a full charge before you go out to make sure everybody's phone has a full charge and keep it in your pocket you're close to your chest kind of thing where it stays warm um again getting along not only with the gps that you can use on your phone weather updates so one thing that i always do is like i don't know every hour or two i'll get out my phone just to make sure that that weather or that wind isn't changing in an unfavorable way like you said those offshore winds um the last thing you want to be doing is jigging and looking down your hole and then you see the ground moving (laughs) and you're like oh shit we broke off um so yeah just stuff like that to remember when you guys go out this year um use your brain and no fish is worth your your life so sure um all right cool so we've got some essentials that we've used auger flasher um you don't need a lot of fancy rods uh for the most part um whatever you can afford there um we've got safety gear and then from there i would say obviously if you can get some kind of shelter to get you out of the weather um not only is it good for you to kind of go in there to keep sharp because when you're out in the cold a long time you can start to not feel your right yourself you might be lethargic you might be focusing just on trying to stay warm and then you lose sight of the reason why you're out there so if you can get a shack of any kind that'd be great sometimes your pop-up blinds for like turkey hunting or deer hunting will work um if you're on a smaller body of water and you know you're not going too far out those might work with like a mr buddy heater um what do you guys typically use uh we're we're spoiled a little bit i I got an insulated uh shanty i bought this one last year the one next was here it's the clam one man um insulated ones are awesome i mean if you can afford them it's a little bit extra money but uh you almost don't have to use a heater in them just your body heat alone block that wind and everything that they're amazing but i'm a huge fan of the one person shanty so that's one big learning curve that i've learned over the last few years i had a a, a giant three-man i honestly don't remember the the name of it it's an otter we had an otter um that i bought and 
you just don't ever fish. I shouldn't say ever. Very rarely we ever fish with three people in a shanty. So the more that I fish and put some time on the ice, we want to be mobile. We want to move. I want to jump from hole to hole to hole. And I want to constantly be moving, especially for pan fish. You know, we can jump holes and, and pick them up pretty quickly. So uh, the one mans have drastically increased their odds in that. And we don't, you know, just with being the flip overs are awesome now. So I have an Eskimo uh, wide one. Um, just that little bit of width extra helps you in the front. And uh, I love it. And Tom and I, sometimes we're two foot apart with our shanties. Another time we're 50 yards or 100 part or whatever. But um, being able to be mobile has been a huge asset to us. Yeah, I had the uh, fray bill there for a while. Um, it was a two-man shanty. But uh, the fact that I could flip it over, it goes into like this big plastic tub or think of it like a... Um, like a sled like a sled like a jet sled that mm -hmm. it goes into you could throw all your gear in there and then whether it's hooked up to your snowmobile or if you're just walking you could just start moving and go to another spot flip it right back over your head and keep fishing um they do make other ones that are kind of like a big pop-up tent style that can fit like eight people those are massive um i get it why people have it um if you want to be with your buddies and you know be in a social environment and you don't plan on moving a lot and you're okay with just sitting in one spot maybe you got some kids maybe you got some kids you can put them up they're great for that but like uh kelly was saying if you want to be mobile um those are pretty affordable too the one man yeah. shanties um i know Chappelle or yeah Chappelle, i think is the name of it makes one that's pretty affordable it's like 250 bucks 300 dollars um you can really go nuts with them. I mean, yours is really nice, Tom. We're looking at yours right now, drying out in here. You've obviously got the thermal version. I think I paid uh, like maybe four, four yeah. fifty. Yeah, there you go. So you can find some that are super affordable. Um, I like getting them in and out of the truck by myself. So yeah, one man, sure. like two mans, like you can't. You can try to put the end on your hip and then try to force it up, but it, it's just or you know ramp <laughs> or whatever. But the one mans are nice. You can bend over by yourself and slide them in and out of a pickup truck, and yep, that's super nice. You, you throw it on a machine, and if you get the tracks on the bottom, you know you can buy the aftermarket. Um, they're not rubber they're plastic you know polymer uh, yeah nylon. put those on and then they're great man they pull behind like you don't even feel them they're they're awesome and as long as you take care of them they'll last you years you know when you get home like you're doing right now tom open them up let them dry out um and they'll last you damn near a lifetime yeah um so shanty i would i think would be a, a good bet um other than that just start fishing I mean, get out there. I think tip-ups are cool. Um, they're a cool way to spread out. Um, and they're a good way to, uh, you know, get away and fish different depths from you if, if you're curious about an area. And a tip-up is really just a piece of plastic with a flag that drops down into a hole. And when a fish takes it, the flag goes off. Um, a lot of the times those are just tipped with, um, they have tip-up line. And you can throw like a fluorocarbon leader on there. Um, if you're going for pike, you can put something more heavy duty and just a treble hook and a lively minnow. Just throw them on there and see what bites. And those are typically a fan favorite. That's for that's whatever, for sure. Uh, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. If you want to throw three tip-ups out and use your lines and uh, sit back and drink beer with your buddies and watch flags, like we've done that before too. Oh, yeah. Like whatever you're going after. Yep. Uh, um. But I encourage everybody to get out there and do ice fishing. I think you'll enjoy it more than you than you realize, and it really helps. I always look forward to winter every year for ice fishing. Like yeah. people always dread the winter that's coming and deer season's over, and like what do we do now? And it's like, dude, it's ice fishing season. Like yeah. I always get jacked about it. Um, was definitely into it more in my younger years, but um, now that the kids are getting a little bit older, I'm allowed to get back out there more and it's definitely a lot of fun something my kids love too it's a great way to get kids into yeah. it and if here's a hot tip too another piece of gear if you got some extra jingle in your pocket i've got an underwater camera that thing for kids is like worth whatever you pay for it <laughs> i mean my, mine was like 250 bucks 300 something like that it's an aqua view i've had it for like 10 years um it's definitely beat up but it still works and it is basically like a video game so 
it's just what it sounds like underwater camera you drop this fish looking thing down into a hole it's on a um it's on a cable that comes back up to like a battery with a small monitor on it and you can look exactly what's going on underneath the ice there's a couple good reasons why i like them one i can see exactly what the terrain and the structure that i'm on a lot of people use them for scouting and things like that um secondly um if you want to take uh, your fishing up to the next level and see how the fish are reacting to your bait, well, now you can physically see the fish coming into your bait, how they're reacting to your jigs, how they're reacting to your spoons, rather than just looking at the colors on a flasher. Um, and then thirdly, the good thing too is you can see a lot of the times, especially on a light bite, is you'll know when they inhale the bait because yep. sometimes they'll inhale it and spit it right back out and you don't even know when you're jigging if they did that or not on a yep. flasher. On the camera, you can see when it gets in their mouth and you can know when to set that hook, which is super helpful. I mean, I always take my camera out with me, but again, like I said, I was really in the, I still am in the ice fishing, so I spent the coin on it and it's worth its weight in gold. So. Um, and then the, the bonus part of that is if you're introducing someone to ice fishing for the first time, um, like kids or your buddies or something like that, it's really cool to have the camera on there, see the fish come in, see what's down there. Um, if you do have a mark on your flasher, now you know exactly what that fish is. Is it a walleye? Is it a pike? Is it a perch? Whatever it is. So I highly suggest if you've got some extra money, invest in a good camera because it's really nice. You guys ever use the camera? Yeah, I had one for a while. It was cool. Sometimes I couldn't see it. The water was really dark. Yeah. You could only see six inches in front of it. Yeah. I used it for a couple of years. It was super cool, and uh, it quit working on me. Did I don't it? even remember what brand it was. I had some problems before of my fishing line and fish getting wrapped around the camera. Maybe yeah. that was operator error. Maybe my camera was too close to my hole that I was fishing in, but... I remember that. I remember catching fish, and they, they would, especially panfish that turn sideways, and they, you know what I mean, they cut that water and where they do sure. loops, and uh, we it would end up getting wrapped around that camera. So, um, you know, I had a, a, you know, kind of slightly more uh, a frustrating experience with the camera, but it is super nice, and it's definitely nice to know what's down there for, you know, fishing with waxies and expecting to catch uh, bluegill and all of a sudden there's perch or crappie well okay maybe we need to switch to minnows or change your bait up or something like that will definitely help with that the camera and it's fun no doubt about that yeah it's frustrating you see a 40 inch northern come by and you're like <laughs> jig, 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 come on hit it hit it and they just swim right by it's, it's like perfect. hitting a panic button you're like oh shit oh yeah. shit here it is let's uh switch to strategy a little bit more we talked a lot about uh, walleye fishing yeah. and some different things um tom and i love to fish panfish and i don't know if it's our ocd we love being mobile we love uh, uh jigging and we love just being playing with these finicky fish and uh it's one of our favorite things to do out there it they have a blast um i think one of our biggest strategies is to especially when we're learning a new lake or a new area is to divide and conquer okay. I, I think that has to be done um just so obviously we cover more ground we are big believers we like to say swiss cheese a lake man we just drill holes and drill holes until until we're blue <laughs> so uh, big believers in bouncing holes um, typically we will work from either shallow to deep or deep to shallow so we want to target a depth that we think these fish are in and then we'll move laterally uh, meaning in the same depth but left or right to try to stay on that <laughs> shelf until we find fish so typically we'll start from shoreline to the center of the lake and we'll go until we either start a marking a bunch of fish or b start catching a bunch of fish once we mark fish we've really accomplished our goal our main goal is always to find the fish first even if they don't necessarily bite that's okay then we can change tactics to figure out how to get them to bite whether that's different lures different bait um, different whatever and and then we'll just try to stay on top of marking fish um, is our general overall strategy yeah so you guys won't set up until you mark fish right that's we literally like before daylight or at daylight we'll we'll, we'll punch 50 holes right like before we even get a flasher out and uh like kel said we'll we'll work in a line like almost make a grid pattern grid pattern grid it um because i'm not looking really i mean if you happen across it great but i'm not looking for structure i'm looking for depth first 
and you want to find like that thermal line or that layer where the fish are. If they're in 18 feet of water, or they're in six feet, and it'll change throughout the day. But um, once you find that depth, and then we start running the other direction on that depth. And then usually, you know, you can either find structure or they're just in that depth of water. Describe to people like what you look for in structure. Like what is structure to someone in that's that's going up? Literally be anything, uh, you know, trees in the bottom of the, in the water, uh, branches, rocks. Uh, it could be that, that straight drop off that you were talking about, you know, that quick change in the depth. You know, you get that wall in the bottom of the lake. Um, I think we see it the most in, and it'll come up as, as the best way I can describe it as artifact. And what I mean by yeah. that is on your flasher, on the flasher, when you're looking at it, when you're going from depth to depth, and you're going from hole to hole, you'll see these. It depends on, you know, what type of flasher, what we have going on, but you'll see these, you know, uh, blurry lines where there's something there, but you don't know what it is. And you'll put your bait down if you ever, um, you know, hook some of that stuff, the weeds. So where that weed edge, just as if you were summer fishing, how they t typically have a very distinct weed edge from where it goes from the shallow to deep. There's typically weeds right there. And then right when you get deep enough, those weeds will stop because then there's not enough sunlight for photosynthesis, word of the day. And. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah. So anyways, we're looking for that that drop off there, and the way and the speed in which it drops off is important. So as we're drilling all these holes, we drill fifty holes, and we just literally go from hole to hole, no fishing pole in our hand. We're literally just checking with our flashers for depth and the speed at which they drops off, and yeah. and then move laterally. So there's a lot of information there, but that has to be communicated. Hey, right here's the spot, and then we'll start. Right honing in and uh so you guys mean by that is like you don't want 80 yards of the same depth you yeah. want the, you want it to be like as you're drilling your holes if you're at 10 feet and you're in and you're going out what you think is deeper you want to find the line where it goes from 10 feet and then drastically goes to like 14 yeah. feet like that's a drop off but if it's 10 feet for 80 yards don't fish in that area because for the most part that's all like a big a, a flat basin that a lot of fish sure they might cruise it but they might not hang out or relate to that kind of area so yeah, i would say we when we talked about grid pattern holes i would say we go probably eight to 12 feet apart okay um just for a visual on that yep and then uh like you said you want it you want that drop off to happen quick cool i went from that hole it was eight foot this one's 14 like i got a six foot drop with 10 foot of, you know, distance, like that's a lot. It starts to go fast. Um, when you're getting to the weeds and stuff like that, if you're dropping down and you're yanking up weeds, look at those weeds. Like if they're dark gray and they don't look green and lush and things like that, that means that that is dead and it's get, not giving off oxygen anymore. And those fish need that. So if it's dead, it's giving off the bad stuff. Um, and those fish are not going to be hanging around in that area because the water and the oxygen in that area is not very good. So if you get to the green leafy stuff and it still kind of looks like what it looks like in fall or spring or something like that, you'll probably be okay. But if you know that it's dead and decaying and, and like, as you pull it up, it's slimy and it's falling apart in your hands. You don't want to be around that stuff you want to get out somewhere different or you want to find where it transitions from weeds to mud flats um if you do find a rock of any kind sit there and fish for a while and see what kind of relates to that rock a lot of the times you have bait fish relating to that rock because they can hide there and what where there's bait there's always fish bigger fish there to try to get in on those opportunities and things like that and as a general rule we typically fish shallower when we believe it's feeding time so yep. when it's uh you know either early morning or late in the evening and then we'll typically try to find deep structure in the middle of the day where fish are hanging out for protection and uh um so that's kind of the general overall strategy and that changes like we're literally like we'll just keep moving throughout the day and then we'll keep moving you know as the evening progresses keep moving all the time weather plays a huge factor in that on like everything else we do in the outdoors um, them storm fronts come in, the fish will, you know, go from one depth to the other, looking to feed or looking to hunker down. Like if you can catch a storm front or, you know, the back half of a storm or whatever, man, they just go nuts. Yep. And another major tip that helped us a ton on one of our favorite lakes, we use Onyx a lot. We talk about that all the time, but aerial view photos, whether that's your general um, you know, Google Maps or that's your Onyx or if you have a specific fishing app that you use, 
a lot of times those AeroView photos are from the summer, if they are from the summertime or when there's not, you know, ice on the lake, you can see the outline of the weeds on an aerial view uh, on our app. So we, just by the, a blue dot of where we are, I can go almost walk right to the weed edge without ever having to drill a hole right. because they, it's, you know, it's out, it's in there from the summertime, which is hugely helpful to at least mm -hmm. give you a starting point. You can usually see the different shadows on the lake and uh, you find the holes. It usually helps quite a bit. Have some, again, getting back to the GPS, you guys are doing all this work and you're out there and you're and when you find fish mark it on your phone yeah, or yeah. if you don't have a fish finder that has the gps on there start creating your own diary basically of where these fish are at so that way when you go out the following year or even if you're in the open water season um i start to figure out like if i'm fishing late in the fall or early in the spring i relate that a lot to ice fishing so like that can that can really tell you where the fish are at. They're typically, like you said, in the shallowers those time of year, they're feeding in those areas. So what you're seeing in late fall, um, leading up into winter, if you're catching fish in an area, that's a good spot to start when you're first going out for the first time of the year. Now, when it's later on in the year, it's a little bit different um, later on in the ice fishing season, but always have your phone on you. If, you, if you're hooking in the fish, leave that GPS coordinate on there, and then you can start to build your own little map of, uh, so when you go out in the following years, you're already eliminating a lot of water that you won't waste your time on and uh you'll start to figure out where you need to be yeah that's huge um i got a question for you guys when it comes to panfish uh artificial versus live bait what is your guys opinion man live i like live but if you're good at the artificial man you can make it happen um my brother-in-law is phenomenal at it um he's really good at it he, he gets the big ones to bite I think it depends on the fish you're targeting, uh, bluegill, perch, obviously, um, and how aggressive they are that day. So if if they're not wanting to chase bait, I would go with live. And, you know, you use a smaller jig head and a smaller waxy and you keep the bait small and they're real finicky. If they're aggressive, I think you can get away with going with that big jig head and that, that big plastic. And, uh, man, they hammer it. They're, I think it's... I think it's more timing than anything and how aggressive the fish are but we tend to use live bait more i like live i think there is a benefit to plastics being that they typically stay hooked longer they it's less resetting time and so that's an advantage for sure i've always had good success but to be fair i haven't spent a lot of time on plastic but like tom was saying there's a some guys that live by them they're awesome i think the big thing bigger than live or plastic is how you hook it. Okay. I think that how you set your bait on that jig, and um, I was the old school, my dad told me I was a kid, and putting the big night crawler on, you know, you put the <laughs> night crawler on the whole hook, right? You feed it in like a big C. and Oh, through the head to follow the shape of the hook? You know, yeah. yeah, follow the shape of the hook, and you got this big worm hook on there. Well, He didn't want to keep baiting your line all the time. <laughs> yeah, That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the game of ice fishing, you know, these fish are finicky. They're, they're picky. The water's cold. These fish are lethargic. Uh, so I think it's really important to just barely hook it whether the head end or tail end of a you know a spike or waxy or whatever you're using which is probably two of our favorite uh, bait you know to use and uh, let that thing dangle man you need that action and we're a lot of times we're just very fine rods and just jiggling right in front of their their face and trying to tease them in the sure. right in and uh and as you mentioned, a lot of times they just suck that in. So having a, a sensitive rod will, will drastically help as well as a flasher to, uh, you know, pick up on some of those fish where they suck it in, they spit it out. So um, just let that let that bait dangle there, whether it's plastic or live bait. You gotta gotta have as much action as possible. You hit on that earlier about stuff that you know was uh, the go-to that we have to have. I think if you have a sensitive rod. Um, we use the, the 13 fishing, the, the tickle sticks. Um, I think it would increase, like, you catch 50% more fish. They hit that and bump it or suck it in, and you can't even see it on a normal rod, you know, that doesn't have that extra sensitive tip on it. Yeah, and what they mean by sensitive tip is, like, it'll be in the store, they'll call it, like, a fast action tip. Yeah. Um, there's medium, there's fax action, there's medium light, things like that. So you want to stay in the light, uh, the fax action, fast action tips is is kind of what you want to get to when it comes to to panfish there's almost no movement in that tip when they, right when they suck it in especially if they're lethargic they're just moving a little slow you almost can't see anything 
and uh, you just kind of got to feel it, you know, but if you're using a, a, a basic rod that was a little bit stiffer or whatever, I don't think you'd ever see that movement on there. Yeah. And you guys don't want to go too heavy with the line either. You want to be a two pound, four pound line at the most mm -hmm. when it comes to fan pit or pan fish, two pound, you'd probably be fine with. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest fluorocarbon. I think that there's no other reason to use anything else just because it's light. Um, you're going to get a good tactile feel of when that, that baits in their mouth. And, uh, it's, it's hard for them to see that, that fluorocarbon line as well. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, those are great tips. Um, when it comes to pan fishing, I think, uh, that's I, when I think of ice fishing in Michigan, I think that's a majority of what a lot of people do is pan fishing. It's great mm -hmm. for kids. It's great for first timers. And it's a great way to get a lot of, of fish for a fish fry as well. Um, I love it. Yeah. Where do we fall? I think a kids first timers. What are we doing around? I here? don't know. No, you guys do. I'm addicted. I, you know, the more I get into it, like I'm sitting in a shanty and I'm leaning back my nice chair. I'm like, this is great. And then a fish shows up on the screen. I'm like, oh. and then I start to lean forward. Right. So pretty soon now I'm in the tripod position. I got my hands on my knee. I'm leaning forward. Then pretty soon my, my, my feet that were in front of me go behind me and I'm leaning forward even more. And I'm leaning right over it's the hole. Work. And uh, it's just so funny because after a full day ice fishing, my lower back will hurt and i'm like <laughs> you know this is all over a you know a little baby panfish and i get so much enjoyment out of it it when, is a blast when those game yeah when those marks come on the flasher you got to remember to breathe almost you're yeah. just like yeah. you're so into it you just you don't want to miss your window or you just don't want to miss this opportunity because you're like it's fun you don't know what's down there you don't know how big it is yeah. you just know that they're right by your lure and the wife calls you like how's your relaxing day of fishing i'm relaxing my ass <laughs> yeah i'm stressed <laughs> like five fish are on the screen i gotta bait and rehook yeah. and get it down there as fast as possible you're literally breathing hard to try to get back down i there love to... how no matter what we're doing in life it always comes back to that it's it's the game the the challenge you know you're deer hunting trying to kill the big buck or literally intensely trying to catch you know a bluegill <laughs> right it's funny um i'll give a couple quick tips about walleye real quick and then we'll end this thing um because we're at 50 minutes um walleye uh if you know you're in a lake that has walleye similar to what these guys said um find the structure get out there first thing in the morning um have your holes drilled before the sun comes up put your headlamp on get out there drill your holes um be safe obviously uh find that transition line um when it goes from a certain depth a constant depth let's say of eight feet and let's say it drops off to 15 feet somewhat rapidly set up on that transition line and kind of try to figure out whether you have a gps or a depth finder um in a linear pattern and, and hug that the entire way and put it out at different pat or different depth so if you're at eight drill a hole to 10 find it at 10 find the next one to 14 find the next one to 16 and start to kind of go out deeper and deeper in the walleye will start to show up to tell you where they want to be um drill your holes ahead of time like you guys said um secondly is put a tip up out there as well um when you put a tip up out there and you start to get walleye and tip ups in a depth that's when you can start to go over there now and start jigging by that tip up hole and get closer to it um because those walleye for some reason are in that certain area for whatever that is whether it's bait whether it's a, a depth change or structure that they're relating to um the next thing about walleye is um don't be afraid to be somewhat uh aggressive with your jigging um one thing i like to do is i like to find like where the weed edge um and or if there's a transition into a different kind of bottom so if i know that there's weed somewhere or if there's mud here i like to find where the transition line goes to hard bottom and i'll find that mud in the hard bottom kind of like where it meets and i'll start to pound the bottom with my lure to create like a dust cloud um something with walleyes is they're very curious so they want to know why is there a dust cloud over there what's going on is there a fish dying like whatever it is and they'll kind of start to come in and you'll see um, if you have a camera, I've seen a lot of the times, um, when the walleye come in, they'll come in almost with their bellies on the ground on that. They'll see that dust cloud and then you can start to raise that lure up and they like to feed up. So they'll start to follow it up and then they'll start to hit it as you slowly bring your hand up, 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 up. And then you'll just feel that tension on you your line all the time. and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so create some noise, create some, um, some commotion to wherever you're at be aggressive and then if they get there and you start to get marks and you think that they're walleye and they're not hitting then you can start to slow it down so my my call to action is always be aggressive first make some noise beat up that bottom a little bit um find those transition lines and then from there 
just get ready to move because just like a lot of the other fish species like that they're opportunists they're going to hang there for a little bit and then they're going to be out and they're going to be going somewhere else so get ready to move um i like to use spoons um anything with flash uh walleye see really good at night so even in low light they're seeing some flash they're seeing um a lot of things that a lot of other uh predator fish are not seeing um other than that um yeah those are some good tips mm-hmm. yeah um for pound test six pound test is typically good to start with um you can probably go all the way up to eight pound test i wouldn't think that you need to go much higher than that unless you're bringing in 14 pound slabs on erie which <laughs> that's my plan that's which, not your plan <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty rare for erie to freeze over that good to get that far out yeah um but yeah i mean i, I guess in closing i would just if you've never ice fished before call somebody that you know that does get out there it's a blast i think it's probably one of the most addicting sports that there is and you'll get you'll be spending a thousand dollars before you know it yeah. easy. easy easy the pan fish recap move a lot if you're not marking fish keep moving try to figure out where the fish are going during what times of the day and chase them if you're not actively working jigging marking fish it's time to move and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, go out and buy yourself a automatic flay knife. And ah, you'll be very, very happy. Right. That would be did. very happy. Yeah, we, we, I spent 20 oh. years of my life not doing that. Please don't make that same mistake. Just, yeah. just go out, start it off right, buy one. You will thank me later. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, I think the next podcast, maybe we'll do a recap of your guys' Lake Ogebic experience. Oh, boy. I like it. Yeah. Whether that's good or bad. I we'll think, see. I think, uh, Tom, you're spending enough days up there. You should be able to tell us exactly. We'll find something. Yeah. You're going to be in with the locals. You're spending so much time up there. Yeah, that's all right. We'll be saying A. A. <laughs> um, so I think we'll do a recap on that maybe in the future. And then I think um, if we can get some kind of commitment out of each other, we need to do an ice fishing trip with all of us and maybe do a live podcast out in the shanty or something like that that'd be super cool yeah, be fun have to run a generator out there in the ice yeah or get some <laughs> really good batteries one of the two we talked about taking uh, a tent out there on the ice like uh, like a wall tent kelly's got some big wall party tents like 20 by 20 and uh setting up shop you know staying. you know those big ass shanties that we told you not to get well guess who has one i do so i can we can put that damn I thing up you guys creeping too close to my holes now yeah. Huh? Yeah. you're too competitive right oh god you have no idea yeah all right everybody stay safe on the ice if you're listening to this and uh we'll be back soon and give you guys an update how our season's going and uh, as always thanks for listening